What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with hip-hop artist, entrepreneur, and actor, Hobson. Hobson is the founder of the record label and merch line, Undercover Prodigy. And as an artist, he has written, performed, and produced many singles, mixtapes, and albums. Hobson has produced a series of songs called the Ill Mind of Hobson series, which appear both as songs and YouTube videos. Now, when I was growing up listening to hip-hop music, the term ill started out as something of a negative. The Run DMC song, You Be Illin', chronicled an individual who repeatedly did socially inappropriate, embarrassing, and self-defeating things. But when the Beastie Boys released License to Ill, it seemed like the term ill still had a bit of a negative connotation to it, but the way the Beastie Boys used it, it was a bit of a punk rock badge of honor and a symbol of rebellion. Now, over 30 years later, Hobson uses the term ill to mean something a bit different, having an independent mind. And sometimes having an independent mind isn't necessarily easy or comfortable, but there is still a power and a freedom in that outside-the-box independent thinking. Now, at Hardcore Humanism, our goal is to help you apply some of the core principles of humanistic psychology so that you can break through barriers, find purpose in your life, work hard to achieve it, and build a community around you that will support your best and most authentic life. And one of the most important barriers that we can break through in order to develop a purpose-driven life is to become independent, outside-the-box thinkers. In fact, much of traditional humanistic therapy is providing people a safe space and unconditional positive regard so that they can discover and embrace their most authentic and purpose-driven self. And Hobson will talk about how the independent ill-mind concept applies not only to his art, but also to the development of his business. So let's hear what Hobson has to say. Great to be talking with you. Thank you for coming on the Hardcore Humanism podcast. Hey, no problem, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we're, we're talking about that concept of the ill mind. And we're talking about that concept of the ill mind as an independent mind, as mm-hmm. a, di- a divergent thinking mind, an outside the box thinking mind. And so let's, let's go back to as, as early as possible when you're looking at your career. You know, because you're you're an independent artist now, and that that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Yeah. But it's not just now. It's like that that concept had to start way earlier. When was when was the first time that you started noticing, hey, I'm I'm thinking about things and how I'm approaching my career maybe a little bit differently than other people I'm seeing? Um, this was around 2009. I believe, um, because I had a record deal. I had, I had my first record deal with a company called Ruthless Records. This was the same record company that NWA came up on, Eazy-E, you know, Bone Thugs and Harmony. And this was, um, of, of course, but it was way after. So I, I got signed in 2000, I think, I believe 2007. And, and that did, it didn't go too well. You know, it didn't, I, I, I was just a young kid just looking to get signed and, and, you know, be able to pay my rent. And that didn't go too well, you know, during the time that I was signed with them. Do And, and I, I realized while I was signing, you know, I, I started talking to other artists and realizing that this was a thing that the industry is doing to a lot of people. And you just never really know, you know, even if you think you have the best contract, it always sounds good up front. And then, you you know, once you sign, you, you start to see, you start to notice that things aren't happening. So around 2009, um, I got with a few buddies of mine and we created this independent brand name called Funk Volume. And 
we were just pushing that on the side. I was still signed, but we were pushing that on the side just because we kind of knew that my situation with my current record company that I was signed to may not work out at all. And the internet, you know, it was still, it was still growing and people were kind of building followings here and there. It was nothing like what it is now back in, you know, back in 2009, it was still kind of in that beta stage of, of being an artist, an independent artist on the internet. Like it was just like kind of foreign, but we just kept pushing, coming up with concepts to or ideas to um, build fan bases and all that. And we had never really seen it done before. Actually, there are a few artists that who, who did it amazingly well. It's um, the Insane Clown Posse and Tech Nine. Tech Nine with, with Strange Music. They did it amazingly well. They created these independent followings and created millions of fans all over the world. And so we, we took a lot of notes from them. And, you know, I, I was still, you know, low-key hoping that I would sign, find another major record deal situation. But you know, I was still planting my seeds for the independent route just in case, you know, and as time went on, I started to see that the label that I was signed to was just what it was. It just continued to go downhill. And, you know, and and I eventually just wanted to get out the contract and then it, you know, everything just shifted over to, you know, me and my buddies marketing everything independently on MySpace, and then eventually getting on Facebook and then YouTube and YouTube back then was so, not like it was now, you know, where, you know, it, it was still like, what is this thing? Can people really, you know, do things independently and, bl- and blow up from it? Can, can you make money off of this independent route of making music? Is this even a possibility? So, you know, we, we start putting out little mixtapes and little albums here and there. And, and I, I didn't plan for it, you know, it, all the while I'm still, you know, kind of subconsciously hoping that Dr. Dre will find me and, and you know, sign me and I'll get the whole interscope deal and all that you know and um it, it it eventually got to a point where it became such a good thing that i took the independent route that i i didn't want to sign with anybody at, at you know once it started working out it started around 2010 i i dropped a song called sag my pants and i dropped a lot of music videos and songs prior to that but in 2010 that was the one you know people always talk about once you find that one record that's really going to put your name out there then it, it then it's just smooth selling from there that's kind of how it was where when I put this song out in the video, the, the video was really controversial. It was funny. It had humor in it and, and people just really enjoyed it. So it started to blow up really fast. And then, and I was like, oh, wow. Like this, it, it started to blow up so much that when I walked out in the streets, people would be like, Hey, what's up, man? I know. And I was like, what? This is crazy from the internet. Like I'm not even on MTV or anything. Like, I haven't had any, like, and this was new to me. I was like, wow. And, 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 and it, you know, as the months went on at, in 2010 and 2011, I started touring. Me and my buddies that I was working with, my business partners, we figured out how to do touring independently, you know, just posting on Facebook saying, who wants to, who wants to see us in your city? And we didn't really know what was going to happen when people told us what city they would like to see us in. And then we just, but we just wanted to at least get a gauge and we're like, okay, we got people in, you know, um, Wisconsin, we got people in, in Michigan, we got people in Arizona, in Toronto, all these different places. And then we made another post saying, if you guys know any club promoters that can bring us to your city, let us know. So we got a list of all these club promoters and all these places. And we routed a tour throughout the United States and Canada. And we didn't really know what we were doing, like I said, but we were just going to go out there and wing it. So, you know, we, we, some of these shows that we went to, we, we just took my business partner's car at the time. We just drove around the whole United States and some of these 
concerts had seven people that showed up, only seven people. Some of them had 15. Most of them were in the between 30 to 50 people mark. And I may, I think I did about 36 dates around the United States. And this is in 2011. Some, some promoters bailed on us. We showed up and they're like, they were just kids who didn't really know what they, how to do anything. And then we didn't find that out till we arrived to the city. So it was just, it, it would, we were just like, yo, we came out here for nothing. You don't even have this set up. And they, they'll just not answer their phone and stuff like that. So it was, it was a wild process, but we had to go through it in order to learn how the, the ropes are, you know, in touring. You know, all the while, we're still not really knowing if we want to partner with a major company one day. We're, just, we're still just in this limbo space of like, hmm, what is this? We can, is it possible to really become huge doing it the way we're doing it? So um, then, and then I think one, one of the shows that in Colorado on that same tour, it was one of the ending shows, 500 people showed up. And this was, this was mind blowing for me at the stage that I was at going from like seven to 50 people. And then 500, I was like, Oh my God, 500 people in Denver, Colorado. This is, I, I honestly felt like a, a hip hop version of Justin Bieber. I was like, yo, this is insane. 500 people in one room came to see me because of, you know, the album that I put out, I, I, I was like, oh, my God, it, like, this is so possible. Like, we, we're actually doing it. And I felt like it was history in the making. And we, you know, after the tour, we we just figured out ways to market more and, and sign up, sign other artists to the label as well. So we could, you know, have a, a full em, empire. So it didn't just fully, you know, depend on me to put out music and everything. And we did that. We signed um, an artist named Jaron Benson, an artist named Dizzy Wright. This was back in 2011. 12 and we just kept putting out music and we just kept building everything up and it just kept building and building and building and we just started getting notoriety from all these you know different outlets and it was amazing that the independent route definitely became a thing and there's lots of other artists who figured out the independent route as well like machine gun kelly um, i think mac lamore tapped into a yellow wolf um and like i said Tech Nine, he's been on it even before anyone ever was on it so there's been so many artists who were who were who were doing it as well and doing it very well. So um yeah, it just it just became a thing to take the independent route. And yeah, then, then we didn't need, we didn't need record labels at all. Yeah, so let let's talk about even going back a little bit. And it doesn't even have to be about Ruthless in particular, but like the fantasy of a label. Mm-hmm. Not the fantasy meaning it's not true, but the, yeah. the the whole concept of like, okay, here's what I think about when I when I want to be on a label and what I'm going to get. And here's what I think about when I think about being an independent artist and like yeah. kind of what are, what are the differences there for people who are not familiar with those choices? Okay. Well, with being with a label and, and I'm going to say even a major label, you don't really, you can't do it your way. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you like, if, if they found you from a cool thing, like a, cl- a cool club song that you made, and you're that new guy who has the cool club jam that's blowing up and they find you, they discover you. They want you for that type of energy, that vibe, typically. And and you got so many people like they, they they assign so many people to work with you. You know, this is your point person day to day for this. This is your person for this. This is that. And you got to stay in this creative direction. We're going to put you with this producer, that producer. We get we got someone we got beats already with choruses already on them. Maybe you're going to resend. Who knows? It's all these it's all these different things and you can't just say like let's just say if you're a club song rapper you can't just wake up and say hey i want to wear crazy white contacts and i want to dress like a ninja for my image because they're going to be like no 
that's not no that that's not you can't do that you're gonna know because then like you got to stick to the plan of what was created and and they're very um passionate about you know people sticking to the to those marketing plans that they created because they're not gonna waste their money on something that's off the grid you know going super left field that they don't understand and and i think that's what some artists you know become a slave to who who sign these deals they, they can't do what they want. And these deals are also signed for a long, long time. So some of these deals are, you know, they're, they're um, five to eight years, maybe 10 years or more. And, and then some of these deals, they, they take everything. They, they own your masters. They own all your music. You don't own anything. And they're doing all the magic. You know, you may, you may be an artist who they may put you on Jimmy Kimmel and you, you, you'll start feeling like, Oh my God, I'm the man. I'm the fucking man. I'm doing all this shit. And then, you know, there's times where the label just stops working with you and you don't know why they don't tell you. They just stop. And you're like, how come I'm not taking flights to New York city anymore? How come they're not putting me in the studio with this person anymore? And then you try to call around and you just may never get that answer. And you, and they may have found a new guy. You may be on the shelf because someone else's project is priority and all that sucks. All of that sucks. Like when you have to deal with that being independent you do what you want, but it is harder. So I, I have to direct my own videos. I have to edit them. I have to think of the concepts. I have to think of my beats. I have to make my beats. I have to think of everything that deals with the creative side for me 100%. That's how I started out doing it. That's how I be. That's how I built a name doing it. And I still do it like that till this day. I do everything. I am the entire, you know, Interscope office in one person, you know, for my career. I, I have to I have to think of ways to market myself. And and these things can become stressful for an artist who's not built for that because it, it can really break you. But it, it, but the reward is greater in the end because you know how you build your own fans. You don't have anybody who's like, hey, well, I'm, I, I'm the power of your fans. Like I made it. You know exactly how it's done. You know what secret sauce you put on your career to make your career what it was. You know exactly how you did it. And no one can ever take that away. Now let, let's talk because, you know, we, we've been talking about, again, the concept of the ill mind as the independent yeah. mind. Now, you know, things sound like they're going great. OK, so mm-hmm. that's it's easy on some level to be like, hey, I made the right decisions, whatever. Yeah. Looking back, because there's a lot of people out there, whether they're an artist, they're in music or or maybe they just want to they want to start their own business and they want to mm-hmm. kind of break out as an independent business person. Now, yeah. if you're looking back on the challenges that you faced where you were like, I don't know if it was maybe it, was, it could have been a crisis of confidence. It could have been a, I'm glad I did this. And I wish people knew that this was the right move to make, you know, if yeah. you're just kind of saying to people, like looking back, what were the key points where you were like, I maybe struggled with something, but I made the right decision, you know, yeah. or the wrong decision. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say one of the main important things that I always think of this is I wish I'd have trusted myself more in the past. I all, even though, you know, things were kind of taken off for me and I was doing things, I always subconsciously assumed that record companies were the way to go, that it was the only way to exist as an artist. And any way outside of that, you were just doing it wrong. Even if you even if you did make it work, it, it, the, the proper way is with to be with the larger company. And 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 what that would cause is it would it would caused me to doubt myself and doubt my creative direction that I, that I felt in my heart of where I felt I should go. Because sometimes I'd be like, man, 
I, I would I would have these ideas and I'm like, dude, this this would be so dope. But then I'd be like, but I talked to that person at that record company and they don't think it's a good idea. And then maybe they're right. Record company people throw every name around. They're like, hey, you know, I'm the one who, you know, I, I brought out this person that when they first came out, I did this. You know, I'm the reason that, you know, 50 Cent first got out. I'm the one who took them right there. I'm the one who did this. Yeah, I worked with P. Diddy and this and that. Look, and, and then you start to believe them. You're like, man, they must really know what they're talking about then. And I must not. And so you start to put too much faith into them. And then sometimes when you put that much faith into them, you're like, they know what they're talking about. They've done this. But you doubt yourself of what you had planned for yourself. You'll see that those people run your operation to the ground and you're like, I thought you were the guy who who did this. You said you did the first single on on this guy and this guy. And you're the reason that he's a superstar. What happened? And then they'll come up with whatever excuse. And you're like, damn, I should have did it the way that I was going to do it, because why did I sleep on myself? So that was the thing I used to. And I, I used to think that who I am right now, I used to think it was impossible to become a millionaire independently, just being in your bedroom. I used to think it was possible to build a worldwide fan base of doing concerts with, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 people worldwide in every every continent to pull that many people just from being independent. I used to think it was impossible to even reach a million views, let alone millions of views from being in your bedroom, making music, shooting videos with your friends and putting them on YouTube. I used to think it was impossible for an artist like myself to reach these numbers, to, to break down these, to break these boundaries. And, and then I did it and I was like, there was never any rules in this to begin with. There was never any rules. And, and whoever made the rules, they knew there was no rules because there was one point in time where they were a person who was just like me, but then they made the rules. In the industry, their rule, the thing that they want, they want you to gravitate towards them. So they put off this, this thing that says, hey, you want to be an artist? You want to be famous? You want to be in? You want to make money? You want to be able to support your family? This is the way to do it. Come to us. And that's not true. You can literally become the, a fucking superstar in your own world. Well, and, and, and the whole <clears throat> issue of it being an either or situation, because you even just think about the birth of hip hop. I mean, look, yeah. there was a music industry mm-hmm. when hip hop came around. And so there were people who understood how to make artists famous and make them tons yeah. of money. It just doesn't mm-hmm. mean that that means that's the only way or that's the right yeah. way for you. Because, you know, who, who would have thought like, oh, you know, we're in the Bronx in the, you know, the seventies and mm-hmm. we're going to make music by, by doing what? Yeah. You do what to a record? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, and it's exactly. like, and you're going to, and you're going to make what noises with, with, mm-hmm. with your mouth. And like, that's, yeah, you know, yeah. And how many times did people say, that's not real music. How many times did yeah, people yeah. say nothing, you know, if, if it's not Manhattan or if it's not, you know, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, it's not. And, and you just look at any of those cultures, you look at, you look at, hip hop, you look at metal, you look at punk, you look at hardcore punk, any of those genres that came up, they all started with the fundamental premise of, well, I, I know, I know you do X. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. Just, I'm, I'm just doing Y. I'm not saying that your X isn't something. It is. It's just, it's just not yeah, my yeah. thing. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and you know, when it comes to things creative or even with a lot of concepts on just life in general, there are rules to things of how, you know, from the from the previous people who have done it, there is some type of blueprint to that. And people tend to gravitate towards that going, oh, this is how this day, you know, so if someone wants to become the next Michael Jackson, they're probably going to look at the blueprint of Michael Jackson, look at the record companies he was with and probably try to mimic that. But the, the way the world works is the impossible is impossible until someone does it and it's no longer impossible. And that's how I look at it, where. 
the concept of even me existing where it's like thinking, you know, 10 years ago is like, could I become the artist that I am today without a record company to be able to tour everywhere to, you know, make a good living, have fans and, you know, just, I guess, have the, have the rapper's life independently. And at the time, you know, when I thought of that, no one had really, it, it wasn't common to see that. So it makes you go, not without a record label. Yeah. And you look at the thing like Michael Jackson and it's like an industry standard, right? But that, yeah. but that all, you know, that all starts with Barry Gordy. Like, are you going to, are you going to do what? You're going to have a record label where? Yeah. Yeah. In Detroit. Yeah. It's going to yeah, be, yeah. and it's going to be based on you having worked in a, in an auto factory and yeah. Yeah. And there are, and there are, and there are kids. They're, they're like, you want to be a yes. kid group? Like what? You know, yeah, and, like, and now exactly, it's sort of yeah, like, exactly. Now, and that, and at that time, that was probably like, what is this? Yeah, what is, what is like, what do you, yeah. what do you like, what do you? I don't even know how to talk to you. You know, it's like, and you think about yeah. these, these giants. I mean, you know, it's Michael Jackson and Motown and Barry Gordon. Yeah. But way back when, you know, it just started with the idea of like, well, I don't. I mean, he started the exact same way. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I, don't, I don't like the deal I'm getting over here. We're just going to make mm-hmm. our own thing. And then, yeah, yeah. You know, the talent and, face. And, my God. Yeah. And and this is this is one thing that like because you you got these systems that society puts in place that that the higher ups, the people with the money, they create these systems and these concepts of doing a thing. And and these and sometimes these systems require you to be like, hey, this is the only way to do it. This is how you do it if you want to do it. And then everyone starts to gravitate towards that. But I believe when it comes to just any, you know, new kind of idea in life, like. It, it will feel foreign at first. It will feel weird. Like, is this right? Is this? But good is good no matter what. And, hu- and humans, I-, I believe we have a good enough intuition to, you know, when we stumble across a good song, a good thing, if someone creates a good invention, you know, we're not really going to sleep on it that much. It's, you know, if you, if you find an outlet, especially with the internet now, you can you create your own outlets and everything to, to promote things. If you build a little following and enough believers behind that and they start writing for you and, and, prom- and promoting that thing, you can become the new norm. And it always feels like everything's done when it comes down to n- maybe even new creations in music, new things of, of, of car designing, of transportation, whatever it is. It feels like everything was the like, OK, well, nothing's going to get better than that now. What, what can be better than an iPhone? Is it going to get better than an iPhone? What could it's going to happen? There's someone right now who's like, dude. I got brain phones. You don't even touch anything. You just see it in your brain and it just happens in the call. Just And we don't know what that is right now. And it sounds stupid, but who knows, you know, and with music as well, like when I, and I'm, I guess I'm saying this because with me wearing, I wear white contacts as my, my thing, you know, to be remembered by people laughed at me. Record companies laughed at me. They're like, this guy looks like some weird twist of Marilyn Manson, but he's rapping like Eminem. And everyone clowned me. People were just like, this is not going to work, dude. Like, just no. You look like some demonic weird dude. I knew in my mind, I'm like, nah, dude, you guys are wrong. Like, I know what I'm talking about because I've done the research. I believe this is going to work. And no one believed, but I believed in myself. And I found people who believed in me as well. And with time, with time, you know, as time went on, people were just like, yo, that guy's kind of dope, like weird, but dope. And then they tell someone else and go, nah, he sucks. Actually, he is kind of dope. I heard that one thing. And then it just turns into a fire. And then all of a sudden you're just there. And you're like, holy shit, dude. And, and now these people are looking at it as a norm going, dude, Hobson, like the independent rapper Hobson with the white contacts. Like, dude, now some people are like, I got to get some contacts. That's the way you do it. Like, cool. And I see that I'm like, wow, you got other people just doing this, being weird now. And, and it's normal to be weird. When it's, I'm glad 
and I'm not saying I started that, but I feel like I've in, in the hip hop world in some some areas I've contributed to it. But it's it's just a beautiful thing to see. But there's never any rules, dude. No rules. Like if if you picture yourself being a, like a just anything, whatever it is, it can happen. If you you just got to do your homework though. You can't be delusional. You can't you can't be out of touch. You know. I, you can't you can't just think you're gonna be the guy who hasn't done his research, hasn't done any homework, shows up to the party and shuts it down. Like you you gotta you gotta do your homework. You know what I'm saying? You gotta you gotta plan your punches, those right hooks, those left hooks, those uppercuts. You gotta really go into that fight going, okay, they don't know that I'm this, but I'm gonna show them. And by the end of that battle, they're gonna be like, holy fuck. And that's how you gotta plan it. You go in, but that's the beauty in the underdog. How how much would it suck if someone knew Michael Jackson was gonna be Michael Jackson on the first day they met him? They're like, dude. I feel like you're going to make some weird thriller song. I feel like you're going to make a song. No, that would have probably taken, like, it would have been cool, yeah, for him. But I'm sure if you ask anybody, the, the journey of them fighting that battle, getting people to believe, it's so much more rewarding when you sit back and you're like, ah, oh, it took me 10 years, but they believe now. They see it. Because now you, you feel like you built an entire castle with your bare hands and that reward of that is way more satisfying than you just walking into a castle that's already built. Even though it's nice, but when you build that yourself, you're like, dude, they didn't believe, they hated, they threw stones at me, and now they show me love, and everywhere I go, it's this and that. They don't even remember they used to throw stones now. That's how far, you know, far out it is, and dude, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. So I look at it as a compliment when someone's like, oh, what's that? Ah, oh, that's not going to work. I'm like, ha thanks, you just motivated me, you just gave me fuel. And now I'm going to show you that it does work. And, would, and wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be such a great world if people, instead of being like, what's that? They're like, yeah, oh, what's that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how many times do we have to go through that same cycle? Mm-hmm. You know, how many artists, yeah. how many artists have to be absolutely shellacked all the way through? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like even, even looking at something like, like Prince's purple rain, mm-hmm. right? Like you sort of look at that movie to whatever extent that was, that was autobiographical and be like, are you seriously telling me that like that he was having trouble getting played in a club? Prince? <laughs> yeah, like that, I know. Like just, just knowing that, that like that, that guy mm-hmm. went through yeah. that same thing is sort of like, it, Oh man, I know. And it's Prince. Yeah. You're like, but there's going to be a kid somewhere in, yeah. in Minnesota or somewhere else. Who's mm-hmm. weird. Who's playing 18,000 instruments and they're yep. still going to do this to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? It's true. It's true. And I, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think and I'm not going to lie, you know, we we all are guilty of being that person in in some ways, whether it's in from a new artist we saw in music or a new a person who has some weird invention that we didn't understand. We all do it. You know, it's not it's not it, because we don't even realize we do it sometimes where someone's like, hey, man, I got this new thing. It replaces a fork. It's called a shork. And you're just like, what the heck is that? Like, it's, I don't know why I would need that. But OK, I guess it, it's just a. And and we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't. But I guess we we fear the unknown. We fear we, we don't understand. Or we just have this negative reaction to things that we don't understand at all. Um, I guess what what in, in when people present them something new to us, whether it's music or a new concept of a fork, we the, the, I guess the reaction should be, oh, like uh, okay, tell tell me a little bit more about it. I want to. I'm tell curious. Me, tell me about way, like, that shark. That sounds yeah really yeah. Good. Tell me about because I want because I want to yes. know because I'm curious. So, because then, because then from there you can de- determine what your reaction will be versus just instantly going, "Oh, shark, get out of here, dude!" <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah, that that very inspirational stuff. Uh, you know, I I'm going to take a lot from this, and, and thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
Hey, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you for having me on here, man. It means a lot. Hopefully we can do this again sometime Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. So there you have it. Hobson talking about the ill mind which is an independent mind that allows us the freedom to be purpose-driven as we pursue our best and most authentic life. Now, there's a lot to take away from the conversation with Hobson, but one of the things that I was most impressed with was how Hobson focused on the process of making great music and building an audience without limiting himself to a single path to achieve that goal, like signing to a major label. In an ideal purpose-driven world, we would keep our eyes on our purpose-driven goals and be less concerned with how we get there. But oftentimes we get so caught up in the vehicle to attain our goals, like getting signed to a label, getting a specific job, being friends with a specific person, that we lose sight of the bigger picture of what we are trying to do in our life. Hobson was able to see past the vehicle and keep himself focused on the process of achieving his big picture goals. And in doing so, he stayed connected to himself and his authentic life rather than change who he was to fit into a particular system. So he was able to move ahead in his career in a way that felt fulfilling, both emotionally and financially. And whether we're trying to earn money, build our skills at a craft, build a friendship network, or any other purpose-driven goal we may have, it's crucial that we keep focused on our purpose and our authentic self as we navigate achieving our goals. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, go to our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.